one more time. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and uh, I just, I am so grateful, Lord, that we have people that are here in our church family that uh, take time out of their busy schedules because they want to hear the word of God preached. And so they didn't come here today to hear the, the faulty wisdom of man. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that you would cancel me, that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth, and that you would open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive your truth, to understand your truth, and empower us to apply your truth. And show us, Lord, that we are new creations in Christ. The old man is dead, and we need to live like the old man is dead, through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we were looking at, you know, at the start of chapter 4, after Paul has three chapters on Bible doctrine, Bible teachings, he then begins to tell us how to apply that. And the first thing he mentions is that we're united in Christ, that we have one faith, one baptism, okay? And uh, the unity of believers, the first six verses of chapter 4. Then in verses 7 through 16, he talks about how Christians can mature, can become mature, because God has given gifts to the church. You know, the apostles and prophets to give us the New Testament, to be the foundation of the church. And then from then on, evangelists and pastor teachers uh, to help proclaim the truth to us, to disciple us, okay? And uh, to help us on to maturity and then in verses 17 to 32, he talks about, as new creations in Christ, uh, he talks about the purity of believers. It's interesting that uh, Carl was up here talking about the Puritans. And they get such a slam for, through the power of God and for the glory of God, trying to be pure. That's where the word Puritan comes from. And so we're now talking about the purity of believers and... Um, we already covered last week, verses 17 through uh, 21. So I want to look at that real quick so that we retain the context here. Starting at verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, the pagan Gentiles, who they were before they came to Christ. That you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. You know, do, do we do that? Do we walk... The way non-believers walk, if you told somebody that you got saved in such and such a year, would they be able to tell the difference between your before Christ and after Christ? Okay? No longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, separated from the life of God, because of the ignorance, the spiritual ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, a lot of people like that today, they'll tell you you're intolerant, you're a bigot, and then they'll bash your skull in and think they're doing an, an act, you know, a service to God. Uh, people who are all for, you know, they, they say that 
these lives matter, those lives matter, but they're all for electing politicians who want to kill babies before they're born. People who, being past feeling, had given themselves over to lewdness, uh, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Now, I'm telling you, the church, Christian schools, churches, are going to be falling by the wayside here because we're going to be teaching what the Gentiles teach. We're going to be listening to the mockers. Okay? Um, we're going to be walking like the Gentiles walk, but we have not so learned Christ. Jesus makes a difference. You know, this should not be a wake-up call for me to say that Jesus is not popular on CNN. Jesus is not popular in our public schools. You know, praise God that we got some Christian teachers teaching in the public schools, but to be totally honest with you, uh, they better hope and pray that they have a principal who's a Christian or at least open to Christianity because you're on enemy turf. But I'm telling you, the day is going to come teaching at Christian schools who are going to be on enemy turf. They're going to be Christian in name only. We already have churches in our area that, um, that are following the pattern of the world, and they, but they have not so learned Christ. That's not what Christ taught them. Okay? Um, are, are our minds futile? Do we spend the bulk of our time with useless thoughts that serve no kingdom, no eternal value? Are we darkened in our, in our understanding and blinded by Satan? Do we have a hardness of heart? Are we ignorant to the spiritual things of God? Are we excluded from the life of God? Are we callous? Have we lost all sensitivity? Do we give ourselves over to sensuality? Okay? Uh, Christ's teachings are opposed to pagan practices. Okay? And, um, you know, you would think that this would be an easy... Sure, this was a difficult message to the ancient pagans because Christianity was so new. Guess what? Christianity's been around 2,000 years and the American church still needs to hear this today. And Carl talked about the bad rap that the Puritans got. Yeah, Anybody who wants to live a morally pure life before God, through God's power and for God's glory, you're the bigot. You're the evil person. Okay? And um, we have been taken over by a tyranny in this country. Normally it's just the Gestapo knocking on your doors and taking people away in the middle of the night. We, we have a, a tyranny of self-gratification. We become so spoiled in America. We become so prosperous that we think that Jesus died on the cross so we could be comfortable. Okay? Uh, we got this idea that, um, you know, we're always going to have our jobs. We're always going to have our homes. We're always going to have food on the table. A book you might want to look, look into is uh, Live Not By Lies by Rob Dreyer, where he interviews... A lot of Christians who grew up uh, and lived in communist regimes, lived not by lies. Um, 
you know, and there's a lot of, you know, God bless you. If you feel led to go to school board meetings and speak up for the truth and speak against critical race theory and the garbage that's being, God bless you. And if you feel led to campaign for godly politicians, God bless you. You feel led to do all those things. Myself, yeah, I did those in the 80s, uh, late 80s through the mid-90s. Now I feel that I just educate people on what's going on, educate people in God's word, and prepare the church to suffer. Okay? So part of my job as your pastor teacher is not just to prepare you to live for Christ, but to also suffer and die for Christ. And we'll see how good of a teacher I am. I mean, I could say anything from this pulpit. We'll see how good of a teacher... I am when the day comes, when they outlaw Christianity, when they outlaw Christian schools, and all of a sudden I'm unemployed. All of a sudden I'm on the guy, the guy on the street corner holding up the sign. And uh, we'll see if, if I have the joy of the Lord or not. And that's the thing. I, I, whenever I'm around Christian brothers and sisters who grew up in Islamic regimes or communist regimes and suffered for the faith, and they like to speak real highly of me because they listen to my stuff online or whatever. And I tell them, I say, brother, my, my faith has not yet been tested. Okay? Your faith has not yet been tested. It will be. Oh, yeah, sure, we've, we've gotten, you know, some ridicule here and there. Some of us have even gotten death threats. Okay? Um, but uh, the day is going to come. It's going to get a lot worse than that. You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. And, um, but we, we have got to learn to live lives of, of purity. And, um, and so it's my job to not just teach you how to live for Jesus. It's my job also to teach you how to be willing to suffer and die if need be for Jesus and for the cause um, of the gospel. And so with all this stuff that characterizes the, the world, Paul can say, but you have not so learned Christ. Okay? So you want to take part in some neo-Marxist demonstration and break a few buildings, uh, set fire to a few buildings, destroy property, maybe spit on a few police officers. My message to you is, but you have not so learned Christ. I don't care if that's cool for the American culture. I don't even care if certain, certain churches are jumping on that bandwagon. That just shows you churches, just they just want to be popular. They want more people in the pews. You know? we got to be pure. Hey, you know, we, we've gone 33 years as a church, and we've stuck to the Word of God. But we've never had our building. We've never had a 24-7 building. We're going to have one come July 11th. And we're going to see that's going to be a big step for us. Are we going to remember that we are the ecclesia, the called out assembly, not a building? Are we going to allow a building to cause little fights within us and this and that and people looking down on others or whatever? Or, you know, what, there was one church that wanted to merge with us and I found out there's a group of people who didn't even think like Christians think anymore. Their, their thinking was futile. And I thought, why would they still go to the church? Because the pastor was preaching the gospel. And I found out their grandparents had built the church. 
So for them, guess what the church was? It was a building. And I thought, no way you're getting those people out of that building. They're not going to like us. Okay? We'd be unequally yoked there. And, uh, but, uh, but, but you have not so learned Christ. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, Wherever you're going, can you honestly say, well, I learned that from Jesus. I learned that from his word. Okay? And, uh, and I'm telling you, there's some gray areas. This is really tough, you know. You might, you might see Carl witnessing to some really rough-looking bikers, and you might think, oh, man, he doesn't look very pure right now. Well, Jesus didn't look very pure. When he hang out, hung out with the tax collectors and all kinds of sinful people, um, uh, but as long as you understand, hey, I witness to non-believers and I fellowship with believers who are hungry for God's righteousness. Okay? And um, so then he says, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He didn't say the truth was in the government-run schools. Okay? He didn't say the truth was in politics or in the wisdom of man, non-Christian and anti-Christian philosophy. He said the truth is in Jesus. This is why Jesus could say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus could say, I am the truth. Because I am God the Son, says Jesus, I'm the source of all truth. So all truth is God's truth. Unfortunately, we like to say that when we find things that aren't really God's truth. And we like to kind of baptize, you know, take a little bit of Freud, baptize it, and say this is God's truth. Um, but if something is really, really, really true, then it came from Christ. All truth is in Christ. And, um, and so Christ's teachings are truth. As the creator and the savior, his perspective on how man should live is correct. You know, this is a way that seems right to man. Proverbs 14, 12 is a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. Jesus said of God's word, thy word is truth, John 17, 17. So you got you to make that decision. Make that decision now. Uh, most of you, I would think, have made that decision already. But just recommit. Would he say, I'm going to build my life on the rock foundation of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to build my life on the word of God. I don't care what the media says. Okay? I'm going to build my life on uh, the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Okay? And, um, um, and so then he talks about putting off our former manner of life. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, sinful lust, sinful desires. They're deceitful. They deceive us. They make us think, if I just have that, that thing over there, then I'll be happy. Is where we got to be careful. You know, we think deceitful lust. We say, amen. I don't have deceitful lust. I love my wife. 
I love my family. I'm, I'm not greedy for money. I'm not worshiping wealth and this and that and blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, deceitful lust. You can lust after and desire after things that look pretty good. You know, we're probably going to add some people by moving into a church building. And, and hopefully they'll love Jesus, but hopefully not. Hopefully they, they're not coming there because they just desire to be in a building. You know, a nice building and all. And, um, um, but don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Christ taught us the true way to live. You know, the, the, the sin nature in man, it was natural for us to sin. Once we trust, trusted in Jesus, we no longer have to follow the lust of deception. Okay? Uh, which bring no true, no real fulfillment or joy. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's like Paul told us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I keep going back to this passage because it's just like, it's something that not only do I think everybody here needs to hear this passage over and over again, I need to hear it myself over and over again. Because this world, there's a tug of war going on between Jesus and the world right now. And there the world's not just winning that tug of war with the world, it's winning that tug of war with the American church. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So our reasonable service is no longer to go to the temple and offer animal sacrifices. Now it's to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands or anything here, because I'd be too convicted to respond that it's myself, but can we honestly say that we are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord? I want us to reflect on that. Can I honestly say that I am living for Jesus and I'm not living for Phil Fernandez? Okay? Um... It's not always easy. But Paul tells us how. Verse 2 of Romans 12. And do not be conformed. Don't be outwardly conformed to this world. But be transformed. Be inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to find the specific will of God for your life? Offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Refuse to be outwardly conformed to the pattern of the world. And instead, allow God through devotional Bible study and prayer, allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Okay? And so once saved, we should allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse our thoughts and our attitudes. This sanctification process is the inward, is the inward work of the Holy Spirit um, in, in our lives. Allow our minds to be renewed. The Holy Spirit, you know, the Lord Jesus loves us enough to save us in the midst of our sin, but he loves us too much to leave us there. We, we don't have to continue to be bitter against one another and unforgiving towards one another. We don't have to continue to go back and repeat the same old sins we used to. Every time we do, you know what we're doing? We're going to public enemy number one, Satan and his kingdom, 
and we're agreeing with him that the old you is not dead. The old you is not dead. Look, the old you died with Jesus on the cross. When you trust in Jesus for salvation, the old you is dead. The old Phil Fernandez is dead. Okay? And any time I think I get tempted to do some garbage that I did in my past or something, uh, Satan saying, you can't resist that, you can't resist that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can say no. Why? Is it because you're real special? No. It's because you're indwelt by the all-powerful Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And um, so we've got to stop lying to ourselves. We've got to acknowledge that the old you, the old man, is dead. And so verse 24 of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, so you put off the old man, and verse 24, after being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on what? The new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we need to put on the new man, the new self. You're a new creation in Christ. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Satan wants to convince you. Satan wants to convince me that we still can't say no to sin. We're, we're the same garbage people we were before we got saved, and we can't help it. Sin is still our master. That's what Satan wants you to believe. God's word, on the other hand, tells us no. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now uh, we're slaves to righteousness. In fact, look at Romans 6. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. In fact, right in 15 he starts. In Romans 6, verse 15. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. In fact, he even said in uh, verse 2 of Romans 6. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Okay, so what Paul's saying, Romans 6, 17 and 18, what he's saying is this, but thanks be to God, but God be thanked, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Okay, so it is not natural for us to continue in sin. It's unnatural. Now, we still do it because none of us have perfect faith. We don't perfectly trust in the Lord. We listen to the lies of the evil one. Okay? Fight the battle of sin in the realm of the mind. Then you won't even have to worry about it outwardly sinning. Okay? But, the, but that battle with sin, even in the realm of the mind, will not end until Jesus comes back. But we ought to see victories. You know, like John says, yesterday's victories are today's mediocrity. Okay? God keeps calling us to higher ground. We were slaves to sin. It was natural for us to sin, but once we trusted in Jesus for salvation, now we're slaves to righteousness. Paul does not say, 
now we're slaves to righteousness and slaves to sin. That's some bad preaching that's been going on in the American church for quite some time now. That you got a sin nature and a divine nature battling it out like two vicious dogs fighting it out. No, according to the Bible, um, uh, sin is no longer your master. According to the Bible, you're no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. Now you can imitate the old man, assuming you're really saved. You can imitate the old man and act like you acted before you found Jesus, but you're just listening to the lies of the deceiver. Okay? Um, the old you is dead. So sinning, when our battle with sin is not like a vicious, two vicious dogs fighting it out, but it's like a believer taking a dead dog on a leash for a walk around the block. It's totally unnatural. We ought to look at each other and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And um, we're not who we used to be. We're new creations in Christ. And... Um, and so now, the, what Peter calls the divine nature, that means the Holy Spirit now indwells you. I don't even think we have a sin nature anymore, because then it means that it's natural for you to sin. I think now with the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, you have what Reformed scholars call, um, um, you've been regenerated, um, and so you have a redeemed nature. Okay? Having a sin nature means you don't even have the possibility to say no to sin. Having a redeemed nature means now through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin. However, until you're perfected by Jesus, you could also do the stupid unnatural thing and say yes to sin. But we have the power to say no to sin. That's why that passage that Carl brought up uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it ought to be a memorization verse for everyone. But we don't have an excuse there. And we don't have an excuse because we're so great? No, we don't have an excuse because God is faithful. Okay? So when we're faced with temptations of acting like the old, you know, I'm tempted to act like the old Phil Fernandez. You know, act in anger or whatever it may be, or um, in arrogance, um, greediness, whatever it may be, okay? I've got to say, look, the, that the old Phil Fernandez is dead. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave uh, to righteousness. I have the ability to say no through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy wants to convince you, you can't say no. You can't say no. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, there's plenty of things that are the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is self-control. And self-control means through the power of God, you can say no to sin. So, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We now have a redeemed nature. Uh, the, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we have the morally the likeness of God within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. This new, new redeemed nature uh, frees us to live righteously 
and to live lives of holiness, to be set apart for God's work. Okay? Um, I'm hoping and praying that there's a lot of good that could be said about me. And I'm hoping and praying that there's a lot of good that could be said about you. But we mean good. When we mean good in the fullest sense, not, you know, I, I tell people all the time, yeah, you're a good guy in my book. But then I remind them, my book doesn't amount to Hill of Beans. Nobody gets to heaven based on my book. Okay? Um, but hopefully there's a lot of good that could be said about me and a lot of good that could be said about you. Guess what? That wasn't you, though. Those are the changes that King Jesus made in your life. Okay? And so I say something and it blesses you and you think, and it encourages you and you think, wow, that was really good. Okay, that was just Jesus breaking through. I'm telling you, if, if Jesus can break through a half Italian, half Portuguese from Essex County, New Jersey, he can break through anybody. And um, But he gets all the glory. Let's do things in his power and for his glory. And so we're new creations in Christ. Now back in Ephesians, no longer slaves to sin, now are slaves to righteousness. Ephesians 4 and verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, well, he's saying, well, because we are new creations, let's act like new creations. That's the problem with so many of us Christians in the American church. We never get to therefore. Okay? The old you is dead. The new man is alive. You're a new creation in Christ. And we don't want to get to therefore. Okay? We just say, praise God, I'm a new creation in Christ. Now let me be the jerk that I was before I got saved. No. If you're a new creation in Christ, therefore, act like new creations in Christ. And so what Paul is going to describe is a new lifestyle for us. And the first thing he mentions is speaking truth. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, we're one body of believers. Let's be truthful to each other. Okay? Let's tell each other the truth. And don't be too hard on people. The standard by which you judge others, that's the standard that you're going to be judged by. So if you think, well, you know, Pastor Phil is a great guy, but he's a little obnoxious. Well, you want to confront me on being obnoxious, make sure that you're not mega obnoxious, you know? Uh, but whatever the case, let's speak truth to one another. And uh, I think more times than not, when you have people who are hungry for God's word, none of us are perfect, the truth that we speak to one another is going to be words of encouragement. I can look around this room, and I don't think there's anybody I see in here who hasn't encouraged me at least a few times. But, uh, but let's speak truth. And you might think, you know what? Lay aside falsehood. We're one body of believers. But just in general, putting away lying. But each one, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. You think like, wow, that's, you know, no big deals. Uh, let me tell you, um, speaking truth right now will get you censored from Facebook. 
Speaking truth right now could cost you your job and your career. You realize there's, there's some careers right now that if a boy identifies as a girl and you don't speak the truth and say, excuse me, but you're a boy, if you speak the truth, you're going to lose your job. So we live in a world of lies. How many of us are going to have the courage to speak the truth? Back in the pagan times, you had to have courage to speak the truth because everybody believed lies. Uh, those days are making a comeback. We're seeing the return of the ancient gods, the return of ancient paganism. They call it neo-paganism. And all of a sudden, you get in... It, it used to be 20 years ago... If you publicly said something positive about Jesus, you got in trouble. Now things are so bad, you can't even tell the truth in public anymore. Okay? Now keep in mind, uh, Solzhenitsyn, who was in a Soviet Union gulag, brilliant guy. Um, keep in mind that he, he says that it's not our job to look for, to be martyred. It's not our job to become martyrs. It's not our job to look for persecution. It's not our job to get ourselves in trouble. Okay? He even says it might not even be your job to loudly proclaim the truth. But what Solzhenitsyn says is, but live not by lies. Okay? So maybe God might call Phil Fernandez... John McCarthy, Pat Fisk, Willis, Carl. God might call some of us to be loud and proclaim God's truth and get locked up. What he calls all of us to do at the very least, though, is not to applaud the lies. And that will get you in trouble, not as quickly as the other thing. But, um, but you just got to find, you know, God calls you to be loud or quiet in your service of them, but the thing we cannot do, we cannot bow to lies. I could tell a homosexual, I love you. I could tell a homosexual, God loves you. I could tell a homosexual, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and the Holy Spirit's drawing you. I could tell a homosexual that I'm a sinner like you, and I don't deserve to go to, to heaven, but uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been saved, and I want that for you. But I cannot tell. If a homosexual says, there's nothing wrong with my lifestyle, I cannot say, oh, I agree with that. You know, God gave you free will, so therefore you could just be whatever you want to be and stuff like that. It, live not by lies. Okay? Live not by lies. And... Uh, you know, some of us in this room, I would not be surprised if some of us in this room uh, end up with vibrant prison ministries without even applying for it. Okay? Um, but we cannot live by lies. We've got to speak the truth. If, we, if the church doesn't speak the truth, what are we going to expect the atheists to do it? Okay? We've got to speak the truth. Now, we speak the truth, Ephesians 4.15 in love. Okay? So, 
there's, uh, you know, no spiritual gift of being, you know, an abrasive person that pushes everybody away. We speak the truth in love. You try to love people without speaking the truth, that's not love. You try speaking the truth without love, it's not going to be accepted by your hearers. We've got to speak the truth in, in love. But we're one body of believers. We need to, to lay aside falsehood. And then we have to, there are times that God calls us to be angry. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry. That's a command. Paul is commanding Christians to be angry. Keep in mind, if anger is always a sin, then Jesus sinned when he cleansed the, the temple two times, on two different occasions. So sometimes we're supposed to be angry. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, or do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give place to the devil. Okay, now first thing I want to point out here, look at James chapter 1. James was in the business of smashing idols. You don't believe me? Read his letter and a few of your idols will be smashed. Um, yet, James could say this in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, James 1, 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. That's tough for me. I visited a pastor friend a few weeks ago, and I spent the whole night talking. I learned nothing new about this godly man or his godly wife. They learned everything I did, I think, from age three on up. Uh, and um, uh, I had too much coffee that day, and that's a bad... You know, you mix, you mix a little bit of coffee with half Italian, half Portuguese, as is Cali, New Jersey, and uh, get the earplugs out. And... Um, but James 1, 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, slow to anger. For the wrath or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, James is not contradicting Paul. What he's saying is the anger of man does not and cannot accomplish the will of God. Paul is not telling us to have the anger of man. Paul is telling us to share in God's anger against wickedness. Okay? So Paul's not talking about the anger of man. The anger of man is always wrong. Anger of man is, you know, usually it's some for some selfish reason... You get angry at somebody. And you blow up and you mistreat them. Or even if you keep it to yourself, you harbor evil thoughts and you break God's command, thou shalt not murder. Okay? Um, that's the anger uh, of man. Paul says, look, I'm commanded you to be angry. Let me tell you, in a culture that slaughters over a million babies before they're born, before they see the light of day, if that doesn't make you angry, if you're not angry about that, 
Are you, are you even saved? It might be you're just oblivious to what's going on. And that's a bad choice. Not to see what's going on out there. We've got to know our audience. We've got to know the people we're witnessing to. Um, when people uh, talk about, like, you know, promote gay marriage and uh, try to destroy the family. There are people out there, organizations that are highly praised right now. And one of their goals is to destroy the nuclear family. You go to prison, men's prison, probably 85% of the guys in there grew up in homes without dads. And uh, if that can't make you angry, something's wrong with you. What makes God angry should make you angry. And now before you get real self-righteous, think first about all the things that you're doing and thinking and saying that make God angry. And when's the last time he said, you know, woke up and said, man, I'm really angry at me by the way I acted yesterday. I can remember the last time. That was when I visited that pastor and talked the whole night. Uh, I was like, I, I was like kind of angry. Man, what? That was the old being stupid, just talking and talking, not even caring enough to listen. And, um, but then you've got to go outside yourself. What would God be angry about in our culture? Okay? You know, there were Christians in this country. They don't get any credit. They don't get any credit anymore. But there were Christians in this country that were angry about a thing called slavery. And they wanted it abolished. The Republican Party was founded for the purpose of abolishing slavery. It even got to the point there was so much anger about it, we even fought a civil war on the issue. We've got to have that righteous anger, okay? And so Paul commands us, in, in, a world, in a godless world, in a world that hates truth, in a world that hates Jesus, we have to be angry. And yet, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your head. In other words, when God, when the Spirit of God makes you angry at injustice and sin, then that means that God is calling you to do something about it. And you might say, Pastor Phil, I got two bad legs. I need a wheelchair to go around. I can't. What am I? I'm angry about sin, but I can't even protest at abortion clinics. I can't even stand more than 10 minutes without feeling like passing out. That's fine. God's not calling everybody to be out there. But at the very least, God's calling you to do what? Pray. How many times do I do something that I think is spiritually powerful and it has no power because I go on my own strength because I didn't pray before it, during it, and afterwards? Okay? Um, but God, when he gives us this righteous anger, well, then be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if God has called you to be angry today about some injustice, something ungodly in the world, and believe me, there's a lot of things you can find. If God's called you to be angry, well, then don't sin. Don't give the devil a place. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if you just keep it in 
and you keep it in, and you keep it in. And this is tough. This is not an easy thing to teach. Because God is, God is not saying be angry and blow up. But God is also not saying be angry and don't do anything about it. Because if you get angry, okay, about a world of lost sinners, if you get angry about it, and you don't do anything about it, you're just going to get angrier and angrier, and then your prayers are going to start sounding like, oh Lord, come back right now and judge all these heathen. Uh, just judge them right now. And, you, and you know, it's like, wow, you ought to be grateful that God had, had some patience with you. What if some other guy was praying that prayer the day before you got saved? Would you want God to answer that? So yeah, God is calling us to be angry and not to blow up. But he's calling us to be angry and not to let the sun go down on it. God, righteous anger, godly anger, God is calling you to action. And that action might be prayer. That action might be protesting against abortion. That action might be speaking at the public school parent-teacher meetings and standing up for God's righteousness and speaking out against the lies, the garbage that they're teaching kids. It might call you to write or to speak out against this kind of stuff. You know, and the thing is, too, is... Um, First off, Satan doesn't want you to get angry at ungodly things. If you do get angry, then Satan says, okay, good, just keep it to yourself until you just blow up. You just, you just have a nervous breakdown over it and you just blow up and do all kinds of rotten stuff. Uh, or, you know, just, just don't do anything about it. Just be angry. Don't do anything about it. Uh, Satan does not want us to act in accordance with God's will due to the anger against godlessness that we should have. Now, it's going to be, you know, here's, here's one of the things, too, is I have seen, especially young men, with godly, righteous anger. And they feel led uh, to speak out against this, to speak out against that, to do this and do that. But they think everybody's being called to do the exact same thing. That's not what Paul's saying. We, you know, for some people, God's going to call you to pray. For some people, God's going to call you to financially give. For some people, God's going to call you to give of your time. Look at the people who put all this time in to get this, this, this building ready for when we come in. Um... A building dedicated to God's purpose. If we're angry that so many people are lost, we'll be angry and don't sin, don't let the sun go down our anger, then maybe we ought to share our faith with others. And wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be nice if we turned that building into a building dedicated to God and His purpose so we can be angry and not yet not sin because we act on that righteous anger in a way that is pleasing uh, to God. 
So, uh, you know, sometimes we express the anger in a wrong way where we misdirect it. You know, a guy gets chewed out by his boss, and the guy can't stand it. He doesn't want to talk back to his boss because he doesn't want to lose his job, so he goes home and yells at his wife. That's not, that's not the proper way to express anger. And the other way is just to suppress it so long, keep it in too long, and then, it, and then Satan will eventually seize the opportunity and you'll explode by overacting, overreacting, and, uh, and you'll hurt innocent people. So God has called us to be angry and, um, and not sin. Now, Carl, what Carl said earlier, there's a balance there. There's so much bad news out there. Get a glimpse of it so that you know that God created you for a time such as this. But don't get so caught up in the bad news, unless God's called you to that ministry. Don't get so caught up in the bad news that you just become bitter. Okay? And um, I like to be informed on what's going on. And then I get angry, but I have to act in accordance with God's will um, on that, uh, that anger. Look at verse 28, Ephesians 4. So be angry and don't sin. Don't give a place for Satan. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, uh, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. By the way, don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Don't steal. Thou shalt not steal. Don't harbor evil thoughts towards people. Jesus says that's tantamount to obey, disobeying. Thou shalt not murder. Paul told, told us earlier that we're to worship the, the one true God. Uh, basically, what, what Paul it's kind of like, wait, Paul, we've been there before. He's going to tell us to honor our father and mother later on in Ephesians chapter 5. He's like, Paul, wait a minute. This isn't new stuff. You're just telling me the, the Ten Commandments. Okay? Look, the Ten Commandments tells us what we're supposed to do. And then the rest of the Old Testament tells us how to do it, but most of the Jews of Jesus' day didn't get it. They thought, okay, I've got to obey God's commands outwardly in my own power. No, you're supposed to obey God's commands inwardly through the power of the Holy Spirit, through coming to Jesus for salvation. And so, so basically Paul is telling us, now that you're a new man in Christ, for the first time in your life you have the ability to obey God's commands. Or as Jesus summed it up, love God with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself. Now we have access to the power of the Holy Spirit where we can actually obey from the heart the Ten Commandments and the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us, to love God with everything we got, that was the first four commandments, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, that was the last uh, six commandments. And so Paul tells us, steal no longer. Instead, work for a living. So you can not only support your family, but if God prospers you, you can also help others that are in need. That's why 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If any man will not work, neither let him eat. 
Now, Paul always tells us, take care of the orphans and widows. The apostles would try to help out. They usually healed. You know, if there was a lame beggar, a disabled guy, silver and gold I don't have, Peter tells them, and then heals the guy, which is worth more than any money they could have given him. Um, but right now, we, we got this entitlement mentality that's being brought up, socialism and the welfare system and the redistribution of wealth, where people who are healthy and should be working say, well, why should I work? I mean, I, I think it was Philadelphia. I don't know how many years ago, but if a lady had no man in the home and had like five or six kids, she could get the equivalent of something like sixty to $70,000. In, in welfare payments and, and food stamps and, and health benefits and, and things of that sort, okay? Now, obviously, I'm upset. There should be some righteous anger about guys who think that they, it's their job to make babies and not take care of them. But the fact of the matter, was it in uh, California? Now, this was decades ago. It cost the taxpayers $70,000 a year to take care of each prison inmate. I don't know about you, I still think $70,000 a year, that's a pretty good job. You got a job like that, you're working hard for that money. And we're just, just giving it away. Um, our medical bills are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because not only you got to take care of your family, you got to take care of the people that don't feel like working. Now, don't get me wrong. It, the, the church should be taking care. Government's not good. It's not cost-effective. Government's a lot better at killing than it is at taking care of people. But whatever the case, you know, if they want to take my taxpayers' money and give it to people who are disabled, to widows, to orphans, I'm not going to complain. Okay, I think there's a better way to do that, but I'm not going to complain. But when you just tell people, because you were born on planet Earth, you're entitled to somebody else's money? Well, what I'm basically saying is uh, stealing is stealing even if the government does it for you. Okay? Stealing is stealing even if the government does it for you. So Paul says, let him who stole steal no longer. I was, I was, I, I'll, I'll acknowledge I was a thief back in Jersey. I didn't steal from other people, I justified it to myself by stealing from like multi-million dollar businesses and stuff like that, and then gave it to my friends, so I thought I was Robin Hood, you know, take from the rich, give to the poor. Oh, I, I just wanted, I wanted people to look up to me. I wanted people to think I was important, and I was stupid. That was the old man. Um, but you don't have to steal like I stole. Um... There's other ways of stealing, but it's basically, look, instead, you know, Paul says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. By the way, some of you, your health is not real great. Okay? And if you can't find work, you know, I'm going to be one of the first ones to say, and to say you know, uh, we got to help this, this brother or help this sister, okay? Uh, but the idea that healthy people, 
have an excuse. You don't have to work and this and that, and the government will give it to you. The only government, the, the money the government has is what it takes from the working man through taxation. And um, so a lot of people are pro-stealing right now. And um, so, and, uh, and then we'll look at verse 29, and then we'll pick it up next week after that. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification to build up others, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Okay? Instead, build others up by encouraging them. Be helpful rather than hypercritical. Now, now don't lie. Okay? You know, sometimes Jesus encouraged the apostles by saying some really encouraging things. But when somebody steps outside of God's will, sometimes you've got to encourage them by saying things like Paul said, if you steal, steal no more. Sometimes we've got to encourage them. See, in other words, it might not always sound nice, but true biblical encouragement, you're encouraging people to be all that God called them to be. And I hope if you have a conversation with me or anybody else at TBF, I hope you walk away feeling encouraged. Now, it might hurt. You might have been practicing what they call sloppy agape, okay? You might have been sliming in your walk, and maybe the encouraging word was, look, God uh, is at work in your life. You've got to knock it off and get back on track with the Lord, Okay? But I hope that when we talk with each other, when we hear God's word preached, when we fellowship with each other, I hope that we always leave feeling encouraged to be all that God called us to be. So if I were talking to a homosexual, I would encourage them. I would encourage them to stop doing what they're doing and get things right with God through faith in Jesus. And, um, and I think if you're, you know, if you're way judgmental, looking down on people, well, then I'm going to encourage you to be more godly and less judgmental. And, and I hope and pray you'll do it for me as well. But think of encouragement as giving people the courage, because it takes courage, giving people the courage to do the right thing. To think the right thoughts, to go to the right places, and to do the right thing. Encourage people to be in God's will. I, believe me, I've had years of counseling. You know, I've counseled guys who wanted to divorce their wives um, for no biblical reason whatsoever. And, uh, and I would tell these guys, look, what you're asking me to do, you're asking me to give you a secret formula so you can experience the joy of the Lord while being outside of God's will for your life. Okay? And then I would tell them, I'd say, look, homie, don't do magic. Okay? That's make-believe. There is no joy, no true joy, no true joy of the Lord outside of God's will. And so when you encourage sinning believers, you encourage them to get back into God's will. Um, 
But when you've got a brother or sister in the Lord, not perfect, Jesus hasn't come back yet, but they've really dedicated their life. They're faithful and they persevere day by day throughout the decades in serving Jesus. <clears throat> and they might have a bad day now and then, okay? You can believe me, because I've been there. Please encourage them. Pat them on the back. If Pat and Aquila spent hours upon hours upon hours working to get our, that, that building right, Kai pretty much owns that kitchen. Um, she said that kitchen's cleaner than her kitchen. And um, um, John is building walls. Um, Chris is doing music stuff. That's a whole other thing. But, uh, uh, but you know, we got people. You know, every time I show usually all I have time to do is just show up and visit and try to encourage people, feel a little guilty because of all the stuff I got on my plate. And, um, and I always see new faces there. Brenda, pouring rain, working out on the yard work. You know, she asked me if it was all right if she'd do that. I didn't think that she meant to leave church and go right there on the pouring rain on a Sunday afternoon. Let me tell you, most, if not all of our people here, we're just people who love Jesus, and we're all just learning how to love him more. Let's encourage each other. Let's encourage each other. You know, you see a brother and you think, man, he really blew it right there. He blew it so bad, it was almost as bad as the way I blew it yesterday. Well, then probably give the guy a hug and just, just help him along. Okay? And um, but we got to encourage one another. We're a body of believers. We, got, you can't, we can't be united without encouragement. You know, there's a reason why the word courage is in, is in the word encouragement. And I'm telling you, in a world of lies, it takes courage to proclaim the truth. And it always takes courage in our words and our deeds to proclaim Jesus, our great God and Savior. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I... I just love you, Lord. We love you. We love your word. But we know we're not all where we should be. We know that even though we're new creations...